turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I know, surprise, surprise. Luke chapter 2. But I also would like you to place, if you have those ribbon markers or a piece of paper, I would like you to place kind of a bookmark in Hosea, Hosea 4 specifically, and then also another bookmark in Romans 12. Romans 12. Those are going to be our primary texts that we're going to be in this morning in regards to this this intriguing story, small three verses in transition from Simeon to the young Jesus. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Luke 2 and read the word of the Lord this morning, starting in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanil, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Praise be to God. Now it's kind of an odd transition. You would think that Luke, in writing this particular chapter, would go straight from Simeon right to the youthfulness of Jesus. Because as you see right next, we're going to finish up the chapter with Jesus' finishing up at the temple. And then a situation with him and his parents at the age of 12. But Luke made sure to include three small verses in that transition. But as we've been going through the gospel according to Luke, you, we've, we've talked about this, that Luke doesn't waste words. He doesn't just throw words in there to fill things up. He's not just trying to make more pages uh, of his book. He's intentionally putting words in there for a specific reason to draw your attention to a few things. So what is it we know about Anna? What is it we know about Anna in regards to this biblical text? There's a few things that are spoken about. Specifically in this text. So what do we know about Anna? Well, her name means grace. In the Greek, her uh, particular name is Hannah. Hannah, it starts with an H, so it sounds more like Hannah. But Anna means grace. That her name means that encompassing element of grace. That her father, Phanuel, from the Hebrew name Penuel, or Peniel, meaning face to face with God. Or the face of God. Now this name is quite intriguing because this name comes from a direct quotation from Genesis. Specifically Genesis 32 verses 22 through 32. This name comes at the very tail end of Jacob wrestling with God. He wrestles with God for a while. And as you guys know, he was sitting there wrestling. The book, the, it says angel, but he was wrestling with the Lord and he would not let go until he received a blessing. Jacob wrestled there, wrestled there, and he received his blessing. His name was changed at that moment, and he also received his blessing. And so this is what, this is what it says at the very end of that situation, which is where the name comes from. Genesis 32, verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Penuel, uh, Peniel, Meaning, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. That is what we know in regards to who 
Anna's father is. Now, it also says that she is from the lineage of the tribe of Asher. Tribe of Asher. Now, Luke's not just wasting words here. He's not trying to just tell you that, oh, you know, those Asher people. No, he's drawing our attention to something very specific. Asher was a part of the Northern Kingdom tribes. Northern Kingdom tribes. Now, if you don't know what I'm saying when I mean by Northern or Southern Kingdom of Israel, I'm going to explain. During a time after Joshua, when all of the people of Israel who had been delivered from Egypt crossed over into the promised land, the establishment of the kingdom was all unified. The Lord established his king, his lineage, his covenant kingdom through the throne of David. Do you guys remember that? That I'll establish my throne forever through your son David. And it'll be, and Christ came to fulfill that. It's known as the Davidic covenant. So, after the situation with David and his sons, there was fighting back and forth after David stepped down from the throne. There was fighting back and forth and some killing and some controversy. Solomon came to be in the throne and Israel grew in, in stature and in blessing and in riches and strength. And then he turned everybody from the Lord because he chased after other gods. So rather in the midst of being this unified, beautiful, and blessed kingdom, Solomon, who they were like, this must be the son of David. This must be the one who's going to establish the throne forever. That he is going to reconcile his people and redeem his people. This must be the son, because look at all this good stuff that's happening. In the end, turns the people from the Lord. So some of the tribes of Israel got upset about this. I mean, rightfully so. They're like, there's a lot of fighting going on over this throne. Solomon did what he did. So ten of them decided, you know what? We don't want this. So they reject the throne of David. They reject the covenant with David. And then they reject the Lord in whom the covenant came from. So these particular kingdoms split. You'll find this in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 12. 1 Kings 12. The kingdom of Israel, the unified kingdom of Israel, split between two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, known as Israel, or Ephraim, as we'll see, uh, described later. And the southern kingdom, known as Judah. They split over this thing. And the first thing that the northern kingdom did when they were like, you know what, we're going to establish our own throne, our own people, our own territory... We're also going to establish our own gods. So King Jeroboam, ever establishing Shechem, which is the capital city of the northern kingdom, said he built golden calves. Huh. They, they're not very creative, are they? So they built golden calves. And then Jeroboam goes before all the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, and says, Behold your gods who has delivered you out of Egypt. So guess what? The northern kingdom, once they rejected the throne, immediately just threw off the Lord. Rejected him, rejected his throne, and rejected his king. They said, we're going to have our own throne, we're going to have our own people, and we're going to have our own gods to worship. Known as the Baals. You guys may be familiar with that term. They worship the Baals. Many of them. So the northern kingdom rejected the throne of David and sought to establish their own throne. Jeroboam then made a golden calf of idols and declared to the northern kingdom and said, Here, behold your gods. Now this went on for quite a while. Quite a while. This went on for quite a while that uh, Israel became known as the portion of the kingdom who were constantly making deals with other nations. Assyria, Assyria. 
They would make deals for protection. They would make deals for war. But they would also receive the many gods that these nations had. They would worship any god. As long as it meant good prosperousness for them. So, the Lord, His mercy and His grace, having to deal with this, ran out. He said, that's it. Judgment is coming. I've given you time. I have interjected into the northern kingdom and appeals with many prophets. So all of your major prophets, minor prophets, all spoke to Israel and saying, Repent and return to the Lord. Return to the Lord and His kingship that all will be redeemed again. They didn't do that. So turn with me to Hosea 4. Turn with me to Hosea 4. We're going to see, it's right after Daniel... We're going to see what the Lord had in store for the northern kingdom. A kingdom who worshipped many gods, rejected God and His covenant and His king. Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. I want you to remember these words for the rest of the sermon this morning. That there is no faithfulness, nor steadfast love, nor knowledge of God in the land. It's imperative to what we're going to be talking about regarding Anna. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and the bloodshed follows bloodshed. That means revenge is constant. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. Do you know what the nation of Israel was called during the covenant at Sinai? A nation of what? Priests. This judgment is coming straight to the house of the Lord first. Remember who you were, Israel. Who you were supposed to be, Israel. Verse 5. You shall stumble by day, and the prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. For people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. This curse, this situation has been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. They have not repented. It's a continual cycle of Israel continually going down this path. Verse 7. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They fed on the sin of my people, and they are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. They're saying, you know what? Those lies between the priests and the people who worship the other gods, they're the same. They don't look any different. You're neither a priest. You're just a part of the same mess. 
like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat and not be satisfied. They shall play the whore for not, uh, by, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine. Now this term here is very specific. So in the Old Testament, God was perceived as covenant relationship with these people. He was the husband. They were his bride. We see the first three chapters of Hosea. That Hosea was called to marry a prostitute. And that she went back into prostitution. And God uh, told Hosea to go pay the price to redeem her back. Beautiful picture of Hosea 1 through 3. But this particular time for Israel... They are now out there willing to receive any God who's willing to give them something. You got gold? Yeah, I'll I'll worship Kamash. Do you have oils and jewels and clothing? Yeah, we'll worship Molech. Whatever you've got, we'll take. Continuing on. My people inquire of a piece of wood. That means they're bowing down to a piece of wood. They're saying, oh, please, piece of wood that I have fashioned into an idol. Please save us. And their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has left them astray. And they, are, they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of mountains and burn offerings on the hills. Under oak, poplar, terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. Now, this is not literal. This is a theological perspective. Okay? He's saying that your generations after you are going to do the same thing you did. Verse 14. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Bethaven, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. When, they drink, when their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings. And they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Man, Israel is in a rough place. A very rough place. The, the Lord had had enough. He is a faithful covenant husband to them who remain faithful and blessing them and giving them things that he said he was going to do. All for them to take that and run off and be like, hey, Egypt, we got some gold in the temple. Hey, uh, Assyria, we got some gold in the temple we can give you if you'll give us some chariots and horses, you know, and we'll worship whatever God. They were willing to give up that which is valuable for whatever they could get. This Asher was a part of. This is the context that we find ourselves in for the northern tribe of Israel at that time. But listen, but the prophet of Hosea does not end there. This is what people like Anna were looking for, redemption. Now turn with me to chapter 14. I know chapter 4 was rough, but you're going to love chapter 14.
14, verse 1. Return, O Israel. The Hebrew word there, teshuva, repent. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to Him, take away all iniquity and accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will say no more, our God. Now the Hebrew word there is Bailey. It's where the term Baal comes from. That word is very specific. He, uh, Hosea in writing is using it very specific because that's who they called out to as their God. The Baals. They will no longer say these things to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them. This is the Lord speaking. I will love them freely for my anger is turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. And their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. I want you to notice something. Notice the pronoun change in those verses. But wait a second. Hosea, when talking about Israel, unfaithful Israel, uses the word she. Who is coming that's going to be this faithful Israel? Why does it say he here? Redemption is coming. Let's continue on. Verse 8. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. Remember what they were pleading with? This wood can't answer you, but I'm the one who does. And I will answer again. Continuing on. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. This is the context we find ourselves whenever Luke says that Anna is from the tribe of Asher. I can see that some of you are starting to put the pieces together already. Her husband died. She was a widow. Israel forsook their husband, took as many husbands as they could. Israel, in the Old Testament, Northern Kingdom, was unfaithful. Anna was faithful. Intriguing. We'll get to that in a moment. And then lastly, she was described as a prophetess. A prophetess. Now, this is not something unusual. As a matter of fact, there's currently seven prophetesses in the Old Testament and more in the New Testament. It's mentioned in Acts 21, and there's a few other mentions of Paul. There's specifically seven in the Old Testament, and I'll just give you their names. Sarah, Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, interesting, Abigail, Huldah, and Esther. Anna specifically searched her specific situation as being described as a prophetess is that she would be a vessel of revelation to God. To God. So what does this say? Anna is a widow. 
From the father whose name connects with wrestling with God. From a tribe who is among the unfaithful tribes in the northern kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament. So, okay, cool, Freddie. Thanks for the information. What does that actually have to do with this section? What does that have to do with this? What, what's it important? Why is it important for us right here? Well, I, I, there's two reasons that this particular section is absolutely imperative in our understanding and that Luke has included these three verses here. One, Anna's testifying to the Lord Jesus closes up the chapter of declaration of the Messiah's arrival. So first we saw the simple folk who are on the field, the shepherds, right? The, the lowliest of the low. Their job was considered the, they were like, I'm not going to say it because just in case people work. But they were considered the lowliest of the low in society. We see the Lord coming to them as a messenger angel saying, hey, the Lord has been born, the Messiah has been born, go and see. So they go and see. And then they testify. Secondly, we see devout men of the temple. Devout men of the temple. This would be the older son in the prodigal story. The son who was always there with Simeon. That the Lord revealed himself, the Messiah was revealed through Simeon. And that Simeon testified to the arrival of the Messiah. And now we see Anna, a northern tribe prophetess who is used by God to testify of the he who was coming to redeem the people. Those people that have been cut off, cast out. That's a big deal. That she got to be used in this way. She got to observe it. This story also sets the stage for the rejoicing of the arrival of the Redeemer. A people who have been cast aside and judged many times for their unfaithfulness can now rejoice at the arrival of the Messiah who will redeem them from their sins and set them right before God. Set them right before God. So this is our main idea in this text this morning. If there's anything that you get out of this particular text, it should be this. That Anna had been shown grace in the midst of her faithfulness to come face to face with God. Unlike the unfaithful northern kingdom of Israel, Anna would remain faithful as a widow in hopes of observing her Redeemer. She knew that Hosea 14 was coming. She knew what it meant for her family about Hosea 4. That they had been cut off. And you'll see why she rejoices later and has to tell everybody whenever she realizes it. That the he in Hosea 14 is here. So with that being said, what is the question that we're asking this morning? I'm not going to just give you information overload about history of Israel. What's the question that we are going to be asking this morning? Here it is. What is faithfulness? What is faithfulness? Now, whenever I say that word, there could be many things that come to your mind about what faithfulness is. You may be like, well, my parents showed that they were faithful to each other. You know, they didn't get divorced and they were in a faithful, good marriage. Or, or I worked at my job for 25 years. Does that make me faithful? So there's a wide spectrum of perspectives that come to the table when it comes to faithfulness. Whatever way I use that word. Sometimes it's a Christianese word that gets thrown out there that we say, great is thy faithfulness. Your faithfulness is established forever. Your speaking is your doing because of your great faithfulness. So the question is, what is faithfulness? And that's where we're going to turn to Hebrews 12. 
I want Hebrews 12 to define what it is that faithfulness means. This is the following chapter of the Hall of Faith. Let's see what the therefore is there for. Hebrews 12, 1 through 17. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, the joy that was set before Him, what is this joy? That He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Is that you this morning, Christian? Are you growing weary and faint-hearted in a particular culture that we find ourselves in? Are you weary and, and, and faint-hearted in trying to maintain itself every single day? Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons or daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons or daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Illegitimate, outside, cut off. Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness, for, that we may share His holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness and those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent. Though he sought it with tears. That is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. That Esau, in a moment of weakness, did not see value in his birthright and cast it off for a bowl of soup. And he wanted it back so bad. But he didn't get it back. Jacob was given that blessing, was he not? 
Now, right before this chapter is the Hall of Faith. All of these people that are listed in Hebrews 11, they were listed there not because they were perfect. Not because they did everything right. Not because they didn't stumble and have their own issues and problems, but because they endured that which was set before them to completion. That which was set before them, they endured it all, all the way to the end. Faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. So what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is not about perfection. It's about completion. It's not about whether or not you're not going to stumble or not on this journey in your life. Because you will. It's about do you finish the race? Do you run with endurance? Do you complete that which is set before you to continue to endure day after day after day? Because Anna did it for 84 years. Though she was a widow. Every day. We're going to see that here in a moment. So what is faithfulness? That ability to endure to the end. The reason the people are listed in Hebrews 11 is because they were given a mandate by God. They saw it through to completeness. Were they perfect along the way? Absolutely not. But did they see it through? Yes, they did. So no matter where you find yourself in this life, no matter what your past lineage your age, nor your culture is like, by the grace of God, we are able to remain faithful that we too will see the face of God in Christ Jesus as He is our Redeemer. As He is our Redeemer. Number one. Number one. Let's take a look at the life of Anna. Number one. Faithfulness and lineage. Faithfulness and lineage. And we see this in verses 36a. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, Of the tribe of Asher. Of the tribe of Asher. So Anna, like we said earlier, her name means grace. That she had been shown grace. That her name means grace. As it is pronounced in the the Greek. Her father's name is related to the Hebrew word, like we saw earlier, in that reference by seeing face to face with God. Asher was also one of the ten northern tribes of Israel. And we saw that play out in, in Hosea. That they had split. This is her background. This is her past. This is her family. But what did she do? Did she give herself to many gods or many husbands? No. We're going to see here in a moment that she was... Very advanced in age. Very advanced in age. Unlike Anna, Israel chose to take many husbands. In her her faithfulness to God, Anna, despite not having a husband, remained faithful in hopes of of a redeemer. Anna's faithfulness was set in stone in spite of, uh, uh, of their family's rejection. Her faithfulness was established in spite of her family's rejection. What am I talking about by family's rejection? Her family rejected the covenant throne of David. And Jesus is that fulfillment of that Davidic covenant. We've seen that many times over. So rather than rejecting it, rather than saying, you know what, that's not true. That doesn't work. I'm going to go find another thing. Anna remained faithful to it. 
As a matter of fact, in her 84 years, we're going to see she steadfastly prayed and fasted in hopes to see it and then testifies when she does see it. So she remained faithfulness throughout that entire time in spite of her family's original rejection of the throne of David. Secondly, her family has rejected God, rejected the Lord Himself in the place of idols. Golden statues that have been fashioned by hand saying this is the... These are the gods who have delivered us out of Egypt. In spite of that, in spite of her family being a participant of that particular thing, Anna maintained her satisfaction and delight and joy and sustenance in the Lord every single day. Day in, day out. She was at the temple praying and fasting. And lastly... Her family's rejection as God is their delight and steadfast love. They were eating and not being satisfied. Anna, we'll see in a moment, fasted to receive delight. Rather than taking in anything that she can get her hands on, like the northern tribes did, gold, food, clothing, status, war, materials, she let that stuff go and said, Lord, you are my delight and joy. I'm going to let that stuff go because I'm hoping for 14. (laughs) I don't need Hosea 4 because I know 14 is coming. So losing her husband, she remained faithful even after losing her husband. She had every right to go remarry because her husband had died. She had every right to go and find a kinsman redeemer. She had every right to go and remarry, but she chose not to. She chose not to. Regardless of her particular situation, she said, I will remain a widow and my Lord will be my delight and satisfaction for my days. Now, I'm not saying getting married to sin. <laughs> but what I'm saying is she, had to, she could have chose whatever she wanted. But her family chose wrongly in receiving many husbands. She said, I'm going to receive none. So that way I find my delight and joy in the Lord. She chose to forego that to ensure that she is established in her. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. It was not about her past, but her hope into what was ahead. It is not about her family, her tribe, the history. It is not about what her family or parents did or the generations before. She looked ahead for a different hope. Which she actually got to see, did she not? She looked forward to a different hope. So I'm telling you this morning, I don't care what your past is like. I don't care what your lineage is like. You are not your past. You are not your lineage. You are not your family. We're going to talk about this race that you have to endure in this life. There are maybe situations and struggles that you're going to find yourselves in. Folks who have parents and grandparents who are heavy drinkers, you're going to have a rougher go in this life. You are biologically changed in both your mind, your emotions, and your body. That a parent who have drinking, whenever they were drinking, whenever you were conceived and born, actually changes your biological function that draws you towards that. You are not them. You have been delivered from that. 
You don't have to say, well, this is how my father did things, so I'm going to do them this way. This is how my dad solved, resolved problems, so therefore I'm going to do it too. Does anybody know that portion of family or Christmas vacation? Whenever Clark is talking about his struggles, everything's going awry, and he goes, Hey, Dad, how'd you get through it all? He goes, I got some help from Jack Daniels. So we laugh and chuckle at that. I mean, it's funny in the moment. But the reality is, is you don't have to have the Jack Daniels to make it through. He didn't need to go to his dad and be like, how did you persevere in the moments? <laughs> oh, I went to drinking. Well, that's how my dad did it, and that's how I'm going to do it. You are not your past. You are not your lineage. You are no longer bound by that same thing. You may have struggles in your life that's going to seek to pull you away. I'm pleading with you, do not heed those temptations to be drawn in that same direction. As we saw the last time that I spoke, you have been delivered from the death of the flesh. You no longer have to desire those things, but desire greater things. In the same manner that Anna did. If your family history has a lot of divorce in it, Young married couples, you too are going to have situations and struggles in this life. You have not been shown what it looks like to have a faithful covenant marriage work. You have not been shown what it looks like to have conflict resolution where the people remain together rather than they just get angry and separate each other. It's like, I'm done with you, I'm out of here. So young folks who are getting married, whose parents have been in that situation, you have to learn afresh what it looks like to be in a faithful covenant marriage. You are actually going to have to pave new paths in the snow. And everything that I'm going to be saying here has regards to it is much more challenging to pave a new path in the snow where there could be branches that you may stumble on than it is to walk the path that's been laid by your family and your lineage that leads to destruction. And you know it does because you've seen it happen. I understand your feet might get cold. I understand that there may be things that may actually cause you to fall and stumble in the snow. But I assure you that you laying that new path for your family will ensure your kids and your grandkids behind you can walk securely in it. Because you did the hard work to break that. You don't have to abide by that stuff anymore. My parents did not showcase to me what a good covenant faithful marriage looked like. So guess what? We're breaking it. And you can too. You are not your parents. You are not your family. You're not your lineage. And that includes divorce. You don't have to go the same route. It's going to take work. Yeah. But I assure you, the new path will be much better off for those who are observing your kids. That they can walk secure knowing that you did the work necessary to get there. Anger. Anger is both taught and caught. Anger is both taught and caught. What does that mean? I mean, whenever your kiddos, and I experienced this myself, whenever your kiddos go, I hate Joe Biden. Oops. Well, I guess we got kicked off Facebook. <laughs> you have to start asking yourself some questions. Because kids can't understand and they can't interpret ideology and big picture things. We may be upset with the direction of this country. There was a decision made a few Days ago, that's probably going to affect how churches are done and what things are going to happen in regards to church. It's nerve-wracking, the potentiality of the outcome of that decision, specifically for places of religion. But they don't interpret ideology. They don't interpret big-picture ideas. They see that you dislike a person. So guess what? They dislike a person. They get angry at a person. 
So guess what? Whenever you have a prejudice in your life towards a certain people group, a certain social economic status, your kids may not see the big picture of that outcome, but they see that you're angry at a people. So guess what? They're going to be angry at a people too. Anger is both taught and caught. You can teach them what good, righteous anger actually is. That there actually are things in this world that we should be upset and angered by. That there actually are things in this world that we are supposed to be stirred to frustration. And yet we do not go and sin. I could be upset about abortion, but I don't go bomb in an abortion clinic just to show my anger. Anger is taught and caught. If there's anger issues in your lineage and in your family, you don't have to stay that way. It doesn't. You don't have to hear words like, you are just like your father. Or you're just like your mother. Because you can set a new way. You are not your past. Anna was not her past. She was not her lineage. She was not her family. She remained faithful even though they remained unfaithful. You can see the path in the snow that leads to destruction. It may be tough and difficult to cut a new trail. There may be things that cause you to stumble along the way. But your children will be able to walk securely by the path that you have made in faithfulness in the Lord. And that means anybody. If you are young here and haven't been married yet, just know that you too can set things right whenever you start a family. If you're older and you have grandkids, guess what? You can do the hard work to show your grandkids what a right way of things look like in case your kids have gone astray. No matter where you find yourself, you can put in the work to remain faithful in the Lord. So that way those who follow him behind you can walk so much easily and uprightly. Number two, she was faithful. She had faithfulness in her age. She had faithfulness in her age. And this comes from the complete, uh, verses 36 and 37. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting, uh, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She is very old. Now this particular text here in Greek says it this way. She was very old in her many days. <laughs> so Luke was like, she old, man. She real old. Now, there's a debate currently going on in academia whether or not she was widowed for 84 years or that she was 84 years old whenever this thing was written. But anyway, even if she was 84 years old or 104 years old, she's old. She was well within retirement age. She could have kicked up her feet and said, you know what, I don't have to do this stuff anymore. You know, I'm too old for this. Let the young kids do it. From possibly around 20 to 24 years old until 84 years old, she has been a widow. That is a long time. But she was faithful to the Lord. She lived a life in complete service to God. This text describes that she was with her husband says she, when she was a virgin. Which means she was faithful before marriage. Even in the midst of her marriage, she remained faithful to her husband at that time. And then after his death, she remained faithful to the Lord even afterwards. 
faithfulness all the way through. Her life was an exemplary example. I know I just said both of those words back to back. She was an example of faithfulness. And so that brings me to a few points. One, you are neither too old nor too young to serve the Lord. You are neither too old or too young to serve the Lord. Anna was 84 years old at the minimum. And yet she went to the temple daily to do what? Fast and pray. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, we all should devote ourselves to monasteries and, you know, all. That's not what I'm saying. The point is, is that she did it day in and day out. Day by day by day by day. Just kept at it. Older folks, day by day, continuing forward. Service and leadership. Service and leadership. You are not too old to be an example to young folks here in this church. You are not too old to step aside and allow young folks to just go the way that they're going. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. You can still be used by the Lord. You are valued and empowered. If you're breathing and you have Christ in you, you are a benefit and a blessing to the church as a whole. You are not forgotten just because the songs change. You are not forgotten because I'm up here 39 years old and I'm going to do things with big lights and rock shows. You're not forgotten. You're not left to the side. You have a place in the church. And that's why we love and welcome anyone of that age range. Anybody. And we will find a place for you to serve and be empowered and valued in this life. And in this church, you're not forgotten. We won't leave you aside chasing after younger generations. Hey, younger folks. Paul instructed Timothy to not let people despise him in his youth. Not to despise him in his youth. Yeah, he was young. And yet he went and pastored churches during the first century. This is what Paul told him to be. He said, uh, Timothy, you are to be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Young folks. I'm going to repeat that list for you. Speech, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Now there is a young man, there's actually a few young men and young women in this church who faithfully serve our church each week. You may not see them on Sunday mornings, but they're here in Awana and they do an incredible job. There are young folks whose hearts and their faith and love and participation with the church just blows my mind when I see it. There's a young man in this church who is wisdom beyond his years. And I look at him and be like, man, I can learn a thing or two from him. He's got joy in his heart and he's ready to serve. You're not too young to be of value to the church, young generations. But there is expectation of you. That you are to remain pure in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity as an example. And lastly, I want to talk about generational contention. Let's talk about it. 
Let's talk about it. Young people, stop using the word boomer. It became a, a term of ridicule, of a joke about older generations. Younger generation, do not despise the older generation. They endured through a different time in history and experienced many hardships. They know what it's like to be a new parent. Hey, younger married folks who have new kids or have kids coming, they know what it's like to be a new parent. If you need to understand, you need somebody who knows how to connect with you and understand what you're going through, it's the older folks in your church. They've been through it. Some of them have been through it seven, eight, nine, twelve times. They know what it's like to be a new parent. <laughs> they know what it's like whenever one of your kids starts going astray. They know the hardships that they endured to get them, to disciple them, to pour into them, to love them and care for them, to bring them back. Learn from them. Do not despise them. And another thing, they know what it's like to be a faithful spouse. They know what it's like to be a faithful spouse. The older generation has a higher percentage of maintaining marriage than ours does. Millennials, Gen Zers. Why don't we start asking some questions? What did you do? She's into this. He's into that. I think our marriage is falling apart. What do you do? What do I do? What's some ways that I can love my wife better? What's some ways that I could show her that I appreciate her and value her? Don't despise the older generation. Because they're the only ones who have actually seen the other side of what you're going through. Adore them. Engage with them. Talk with them. Learn from them. Older generations. I'm not leaving you out. Those darn kids need you. Could it be that the reason the younger generation is going in the direction they are going is due to the lack of being led by the right people? You saw these young generations saying, oh, they're this, they're wild and crazy, they're doing TikTok thing. I don't even know what's going on. Forget them. So guess what? They're going to give their voice to someone who is going to listen. And that's usually a professor of some sort who got his degree at a community college is now telling your kid that you know, things about they shouldn't be talking about. Gender fluidity. <laughs> they might be led astray because they haven't been listening to the right people. Have you let them go? Have you forsaken them and said, you know what, they're going to go that way. I'm going to stay where I'm at. Don't. Do you think that it could possibly be that they desire community and fatherly love or motherly love that that was lacking in their own life? They want to be a part of something. They want to be a part of someone's life who cares and loves for them as a father or mother should because they maybe not, they didn't have that. So guess what? They're going to go looking. Hey, professor, you care and love me? Yeah, let me teach you my ways. Because the older folks saw the younger folks with their hair color changes and their rap music or whatever and said, you know what? We're going to put them outside in a different building. Uh-oh. We're going to separate them from the congregation so they can go do their own thing while we do our thing. 
uh-oh. They feel disconnected from you. So could it be they possibly just want community and desire something that they lacked in their life? You can be that. As a matter of fact, Titus 2 says it. Older people teach the younger people that you were to be an example for them. Younger people learn from the older people. Can we just break this generational contention? I love and, and really enjoy the older folks in this church. They are willing to share things. Woo! But we learn. But we have somebody who has empathy who, who's been there and can help us through it. They've carved the path in the snow. And they're just wanting you to come over and be like, look, I got it. Maybe you used a snow machine or two. Love it when Brother Ed says that. If I can apply some gas to it, I'm going to. So whether you're younger or older, God has good works for you to do and to walk in them. According to Titus 2, we should be walking them together. Those good works that we're called to, we should be walking with them together. Not apart. Let's get past it. And lastly, faithfulness and witness. Faithfulness and witness. Anna testifies, and this, and this comes from verse 38. Verse 38. And coming up at that very hour. So what hour is that? Anna came up to the temple when Simeon was doing the thing with Jesus. and She sees this. Coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She was a woman who knew what it was like waiting for that redemption because she's from the tribe of Asher. And now she's willing to tell about it. Her redemption meant rejoicing. Her redemption meant declaration because she knows there are other tribes out there who needed to hear this thing. Hosea 4 wasn't the end. Tribes of Israel, cast off ones, cut off ones. She made sure to let them know. Rejoicing in redemption is contagious. The reason it is contagious is predicated upon seeing where you stood with God and what Christ's work has done in your life. You were cast off, cut off from love and blessing, cut off due to sin, but in Christ you have been redeemed. No longer cast off. No longer pleading like Esau for redemption, but receiving all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be like Esau. You don't have to feel like you can't get it back. Because you can. And that's faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. Esau said, and he pled for it with tears. But he didn't receive it. Guess what? You don't have to be that way. If you have such a redemption, shouldn't others, or shouldn't others who are awaiting redemption also hear it? Here's how you can testify to others who are long waiting for redemption and love. One, testify in your living. Testify in your living. What are your relationships like? How are you known by your friends and other acquaintances? Are you known as a loving person, caring person, kind person? A understanding person? Or are you mean, bitter, unapproachable? You can testify by your living. What's your family dynamic like? Because guess what? Most of us have families who, who have members in it who are not saved. They're watching you. 
They're watching to see what you do, how you say, how you act, what your emotions are like. They'll throw questions your way to try to trip you up, to get you upset, to see how you respond. You can testify to the reality of the gospel in your life through your living. Second, testify in your work. Testify in your work. Hey, the Lord led you where he led you for your daily living for a reason. You're like, oh, I'm just a this. No, you're not. He placed you there as a this to affect the lives of people who also do the this. Don't despise your work. I understand. If you work retail, I mean, that's okay if you despise it. I'm not going to lie. Especially right now. But what I'm saying is, is you may have that job and it may pay your bills for the moment. But your life and your work, people are watching too. How do you respond to that ruling customer? How do you respond to a problem coming into your project? Do you blame somebody else? Oh, it was Jacob's fault. You can showcase the glory of the Lord by doing the work that He has called you to do every single day. Do all things to the glory of the Lord. That includes your work. So don't despise it. Use it. Thank the Lord for it. And lastly, testify in your words. Testify in your words. Like Colossians 4 pleads, ask that the Lord open doors to share the mystery of the gospel and that God would supply the words to say. Through relationships, there will be moments when the Lord will, get, will use you as a light in their life. The Lord did not have you in those lives for no reason. Have you ever thought about that? That friend, that coworker that you have, the Lord didn't lead them to you with no reason. Because notice that all the things that predicated before the words happened. Your life needs to reflect it. How you are at work needs to reflect it. And then the words come. The reason I say this is because people won't just outright come up to you and be like, Hey, what's the gospel? They're going to see what your life is like. Is this guy living exactly the way he's talking? Is the gospel true in this life? Like, is it really affected and changed? Is he patient and kind? Is she good with her words and reconciling and understanding? There must be something going on here. That leads up to the moment. You're removing hindrances of the gospel with that testifying. The reason Anna could rejoice is because she was doing the thing for 84 years or 64 years. Whenever she testified to what she did, they knew that it was real. Whenever she spoke. That's why she was bearing a witness. Because she was hoping for it the entire time. And then she got to see the face of God and got to declare it. Run the race that was set before you, Christian. Endure all that comes your way with steadfastness. Remain faithful in the race to the finish. It is not about being perfect. It is about perseverance. <laughs> it is about perseverance. In conclusion, what does this all mean? We've talked a lot about faithfulness. I want to encourage you with these points here. In conclusion, you are not your past. You are not your family. You have been shown grace to live faithful lives. If those in your past haven't been those examples, you don't have to follow it. You have been set free in Christ Jesus to live a different way. 
Guess what? Your family may despise you. But are you going to heed to those pressures? Or are you going to remain faithful to the one who loves, cares for you, sanctified you, cleansed you, secured you for eternity? Number two, no matter your age, you are valued and empowered by God for His good pleasure to do good works in Christ Jesus. That's even if you're 104 years old, potentially. She was doing the thing. So can you. Number three. Faithful piety does not remain silent. Do you know the indictment that came against Ephesus and Revelation was for that very thing? Rather than being a light in a dark world, they decided to shut the doors and be like, you know what, we're going to make sure that we're good. They forgot to engage in love the darkness, so they turned the light inward and left it there. That's not who we are. Redemption is a cause for both celebration, the reason we worship and rejoice in the songs that we sing, and for declaration. Every single work, we, every single week we say the same thing, the Great Commission, at the very end. Realize what you have been given so that you too can rejoice and go tell others who also are awaiting that redemption too. Okay. Anna is a wonderful picture of what faithfulness looks like. She finished the race in spite of her past. She finished this race in spite of her age. And she finished the race by declaring and witness and testifying to the reality that the Messiah has come. That Hosea 14 was here. Let us go and do likewise. Let Anna be an example of what faithfulness looks like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful that you have secured us, that you have sanctified us, you have cleansed us of all unrighteousness, that you have set us as righteous before you, that we have been reconciled back to God to stand rightly before you in Christ Jesus. Now we can go and do good works. Now we can walk with peace and joy for the race that's set before us. That we can endure because Christ endured so much more than anything that we will endure. That sin doesn't pound upon us so much so that blood comes dripping from our brow. He endured. He is our example. And now we are empowered in Christ Jesus to go and endure and run the race set before us. Lord, may we be faithful. In those moments when our hands need strengthening, Lord, strengthen them. When our knees are feeling weak, like in Hebrews 12 says, when our knees are feeling weak, may they be strengthened so we can stand firm to weather the storm. That we can stand firm in the midst of everything that comes against us. That we can go and do the work you have called us to do and maintain the course day by day by day to finish well. To complete the race. To earn the reward that is Christ Jesus. A crown of victory. So Lord, secure us, strengthen us in our weaknesses. Pull us up, show us the way, make our path straight. Teach us how to walk that we may not stumble. And when we do stumble, Lord, help pick us up. That we may continue to endure and continue to walk the path set before us. May we win the race with endurance and strength. As you supply that strength. It is in Christ Jesus we pray this morning. Amen.